0: Hey everyone, welcome to the 30th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Alistair McCall. He's the author of the best selling book, Champion Minded, and over the last 25 years has worked with Olympic gold medalists, Grand Slam champions, Fortune 500 companies, and professional sports teams on developing leadership, culture, and a winning mindset. On today's episode, we discuss the characteristics of a champion minded athlete how you can build confidence and a visualization exercise he learned from Michael Phelps. So sit back, relax and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Alistair, welcome to the pod. Thanks so much, Doki. Good to be on. Yeah. We met, uh, I can't remember now, I think it was maybe four or five years ago, you came to Duke and and talked to us about some leadership and some culture. And I've had a bunch of guests on so far, players and coaches, and the common theme of a mentality and a mindset and a competitor, that is what they stress. They're not stressing ball striking, they're stressing what's going on between the ears. And so I thought it'd be great to have you come on. You've worked with Grand Slam champions, Olympians, uh, big professional sports teams. And so across the board, what are some of the things that you think an elite player looks like who has a great competitive mindset?
1: Oh, great question to kick off. You know, it's so easy for us, especially, you know, coming from a tennis background, we've been spoilt with the era of having Roger and and, and Rafa and Novak and Andy to an extent as well of what a great athlete is. And, you know, it can come in so many different forms. Uh, You know, there's four guys we mentioned there and not forgetting the, the the ladies as well. And with Serena and Venus and and such great competitors that side, but there you have four different personalities uh, with four different games who are all, you know, exceptional competitors, exceptional players. So, you know, there's, there's not one size fits all that's for sure. A great player for me has to be hungry. They have to be passionate. They have to love what they do, you know, working with being lucky to, to work with some of the best players. Uh, including number one players like Dinara Safina, you know, they, they just love to play. They love to practice. They love the game. They're talking about it all the time. And, you know, we all know that Andy Murray is, is a fanatic as well. He's, he's watching every match. He's watching challengers. He's watching futures. He knows juniors that that's, that's the passion and the hunger and talking about, you know, I believe in life. It doesn't matter uh, what field you're in, but to be successful at something, you need to love it. Uh, It's something that you love to do. You know, I'm, Super lucky that I enjoy what I do. I'm passionate about my work as well. So for me, in a way, it's not really work. You know, you'll find me at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock sometimes working. And I, and I know we're on, you know, we're not on video, but, you know, I'll, I'll use air quotes there, working. For me, it's it's passion. The second thing a great competitor needs is uh, is self-discipline. That's massive as well. You know, the you know, I always say successful people do things that others don't want to do or don't feel like doing. So you've got to have that self-discipline. But when you're passionate about something, the discipline is easier because there's there's a reason why you're doing it. And then the third thing with with that is the mindset and the ability to handle pressure. And if we look at those those four players we just mentioned there, you know, Rafa, Andy, Roger and Novak. They have the ability to handle the pressure moments. You know, so many people say, you know, the era of the last 15 years, uh, um, you know, I was looking at a stat the other day, it's crazy looking at the Grand Slams and all you just see is their names all over the place. And and, and here and there, you might see, uh, I think, uh, Stan maybe won three or four slams, Selich uh, won one in between there, Delpo won in 2009 US Open, uh, but the rest is those four guys. And what is it? They you know that yes, great great strokes, uh physical, but it's it's their ability to handle pressure and their ability to to handle those moments.
0: I totally agree with you like i I don't view this as a job, this is a passion for me, so there's lots of things that might be difficult to do, but I enjoy doing them. It doesn't feel like work, right, and so that's easy to be air quote disciplined when that's your mindset uh, but I think a lot of people out there struggle with being disciplined and doing things that maybe in the moment are difficult, but in the long run, kind of will end up getting the reward that they want. What are your best tips or advice or habits to help build self-discipline?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there's things, as you just mentioned there now that we love what we do, but there's certain things in our job that we don't necessarily enjoy doing you know, that's all part of it. You know, you're, you're not going to find something where you, where you love everything about it, but you know, it's, it's the deeper reason to why you're doing it. And, and you know, for me, that's, it makes it easier when there's a greater purpose to it of, of why I'm doing it. And there's going to be things that I don't necessarily enjoy doing, but have to do, for example. But I know when I know that it's contributing to my greater purpose, it's contributing to my end product, for example. So do I really enjoy putting together PowerPoint presentations. Uh, is it something I love to do? No, but what makes it easier is I know that when I present this, I'm gonna be excited about it. There's gonna be a team of, of athletes or, or, a, or a corporate, for example, watching it and listening to it, for example. So, you know, I always go deeper there uh, with regards the reason why I'm doing this, but, you know, self-discipline is, is, you know, for me, it's doing the things that you don't like to do, but doing it with a great attitude as well. That's the difference. You know, it's something that Gina oriyama the, the, you know, the head coach at UConn basketball women's talks about is, is that type of discipline. You know, it's not just about doing the things you don't like, but doing them with a good attitude. That is, that's the key area as well. But what tips would I have uh, Stokey on, on, on self-discipline? You know, like I said, a greater reason why you're doing it doing it with a good attitude. And, and, you know, that comes from your self-talk as well. And I write a lot of things down that, that I I need to do, you know, each day, you know, you have priorities. I'll always do the things that I don't like to do first. I'll get them out of the way. So if I have a phone call to make, that's maybe a, a tough or difficult conversation with somebody, for example, I try to get that, that done in the morning. Uh, I'll get out of out of the way, then then letting it sit on my mind for the rest of the day and putting it off and putting it off. Yeah, that's that's one of the ways I I handle those things.
0: Have you ever tried tried this? I sometimes like write myself a note on my phone uh, ahead of time. So and I'll say you want to do this. So <laughs> whenever I get to that difficult task ahead of time, I'm like, hey, just like I'm gonna write a note from myself to myself and be like, you want to do this for the long run. Because I know whenever I'm reading that note, I'm probably, there's something preventing me from wanting to do it, whether it's just being lazy or it's a difficult task. And I find that kind of helps me get through some of those tasks that maybe I'm not as excited about. Is that no, crazy? I've,
1: yeah. I mean, I like that idea. It's something I haven't done actually of, of, of writing it down, but uh, I think that's a pretty pretty good thing.
0: You wrote the book Champion Minded and you've touched on some concepts already, but what are some of the characteristics of an athlete who you think has a champion mindset
1: well I'm sure most that are most that are listening to this have seen the uh, the ten things that require zero talent and I actually was the one that did that about six years ago and if I'd had copyrighted that or or trademarked, I think it would have made a fortune by now by how much it's been shared around the world. But, you know, if you look at those 10 things that require zero talent, for me, that's champion-minded. And I can't remember all 10 offhand, but we're talking about attitude, effort, uh, work ethic, time management, body language, all those things that I remember you as a coach when, when, you know, we spent that time at Duke and, you know, tell your players and explain to your players. So, you know, for me, talent will only get you so far you know I, I like to say that talent is your 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 entry ticket but you know your your attitude determines how far you go so being champion minded is not necessarily being the best on the team or being the most talented it's what you're willing to give it's what you're willing to bring uh it's being a great teammate it's maximizing everything you've got for me that's excellence as well as maximizing everything you've got on that day you know i'm sure we'll talk about mental uh, and we have spoken a little bit about mental toughness but if you ask 50 people what mental toughness is you'll get 50 different answers there's no like set definition but mental toughness for me is about self-discipline doing the things that you don't feel like doing or like doing but doing them well with a great attitude like gino says but yeah that for me that's what champion minded is 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 all about
0: Let's just stick on that topic then of of mental toughness. You know, we'll keep it to tennis since this is mainly a tennis podcast. But I guess, how would you define mental toughness in the in the tennis world? What does a mentally tough tennis player look like?
1: It's a player who accepts when they're playing badly, but they're still willing to they're still able to maintain focus, energy, effort, and a good attitude. That is mental toughness for me because. We have this expectation of playing our best every time we walk onto the court. But what happens is it's impossible. You know, a conversation I had with Richard Krychek, the Wimbledon champion back in 96, I think it was. You know, I asked him, you know, and at that stage, he was number four in the world. And I asked him, how many times a year do you play a great match, the perfect match where you're thinking, oh, oh I wish I could play like that every time? He said, no more than one or two out of seventy out of 70 matches a year. Now, of course, we know that the great athletes and high performers have high expectations of themselves they have high standards they're perfectionists or near perfectionists those are qualities of of high performers because it's never good enough but you know for somebody who played you know like a top level player is playing probably seventy matches a year if I get that right and if you've got a guy who's ranked four in the world saying I only played maybe you know the way I wanted to twice so from mental t- getting back to that mental toughness in tennis is about being able to to step on the court uh, with an A plus mentality even if you're playing a B plus or C uh, a game that that day because it's impossible to play your best every time so how do you deal with that how do you deal with with playing poorly but still giving your best effort you know winning ugly so to say so for me that's mental toughness in tennis do you you know Roger Roger Novak Rafa, do you think they wake up all the time and play the perfect match? No, it's impossible. I've seen Roger and Rafa and Novak play poorly, but get through and that's that's the sign of a champion right there. You know I remember chatting with Sven Grunefeld, who you know Sven is a fantastic coach. He's worked with with many players, Greg Grizetsky, Mike mikkel Stich, Maria Sharapova. Uh, just more recently she worked with uh, Andreescu. And, uh, you know, Sven said something that that I still remember to this day is that to win a Grand Slam, you're not going to play seven perfect matches. There's maybe going to be one or two in there or maybe three that you had to grind and you had to figure out a way and it didn't look pretty. That's how you win a Grand Slam. It's impossible to play seven perfect matches.
0: I was asking a friend of mine, you know, one day a group, we had 20 kids there probably. And I said, how many of you think you're playing well today? And nobody raised their hands. And to me, that's because their expectations are probably too high that they can't really achieve except once or twice in a year. And so if they haven't met that, then they're upset. And my question to this person was, is it okay to have no expectations? I have no idea how good or bad I can be in my life, but if you have very high standards, so I have a standard for myself that I show up on time, that I work hard, that I have a great attitude. I have the highest standard there, but if someone says, what's your level or how good do you think you can be or do you expect to win this match? You go, I expect nothing. I don't even think about it. What is your take on that? The the no expectation high standard policy?
1: Yeah, it's easier said than done because, you know, you work so hard and this is something I tell athletes as well, you know, you work so hard all week and you put in the hours and the I don't like to use the word sacrifice. I don't believe anybody sacrifices anything. You choose to do something. You choose to get up early. You choose to to travel to tournaments. You you know you choose these things. That's a choice. It's not a sacrifice, in my opinion. But you know I I always remember a comment by Patrick Harrington, the uh, the golfer, the Irish golfer. I think he he's won two majors, and he said the perfect performance for him was when he cared but he didn't care, and that's it right there. It's almost like you in a practice where you don't care if you miss, uh, and then all of a sudden you're playing your best because you really don't care. But that's difficult to channel it when, when it counts, you know, when it's when it's points or in a tournament or you're playing for your college and, you know, you've got all the guys and girls on the side watching and, and so on, you know, you're responsible, you're accountable for, for for the team. But I always remember that. I love that, that comment is that a great performance for me is when I care, but I don't care, you know, and, and that's so difficult to achieve because of course you care. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there and you wouldn't be practicing four hours a day and you wouldn't be, you know, dedicating your your nutrition and your sleep and and all these things to it. So, you know, if you can find that happy medium uh, of less expectation, rather place expectations on yourself when it comes to controllables. So how am I going to behave today? What's my self-talk going to be like? What's my energy going to to look like on the court? Those are controllables. Those are manageable. And when you get those controllables right, then your chance of a better performance is increased. You know, I've never asked somebody – what I do sometimes with players is, is ask them, okay, I want you to give yourself a mark out of five, a score out of five on your body language today, your self-talk today, and maybe something else, your focus. Okay. It's different for each player. So the players that I consult with. So let's just call those three things. And I've never had a player who said I got fours or fives and lost. So there's a common denominator of, or, or vice versa, they've got one or two out of five and they're more likely lost or played played poorly is because their controllables were 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 poor. They had a bad attitude, a bad body language, poor energy, poor focus, your outcome is not gonna be gonna be good. So if you're scoring high in the controllables, again, it could be anything for you. Choose three. It could be body language, self-talk, energy, focus, nailing your routines, your rituals in between points. In fact, just a just before i got on 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 this call with you stokie i was i was talking to a player that I, I consult and help who's who's actually got to the final of a junior junior grand slam recently and that's the first thing we got into did you nail down your routines did you do what we spoke about in between your points toweling or walking to the back fence whatever it is uh changeovers did you nail your changeovers so i have this thing 30 30 30 so you get you know theoretically uh, 90 seconds for a changeover in tennis so the first 30 seconds is is drinking drink and snack the next 30 seconds is you know towel down or or maybe something in your equipment that you need to fix or change racket uh, and then the last 30 seconds is more just calming the mind some players will put the head under a towel uh, but your last 30 seconds before getting out of the chair is you know just thinking about strategy or you know something positive to take back out onto the court so those were the things that we were, we were working on.
0: Another part of mental toughness, like you said, people have different definitions. I personally think confidence is something that comes up in a mentally tough competitor. Where do you believe confidence comes from and how do you think you can build confidence?
1: Okay. This, this is a good one. True confidence comes from deep inside. So true confidence comes from your self image. If we're peeling away the, the, the layers of the onion here. It comes from your self-image, how you feel about yourself. Are you comfortable in your own skin? When you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror. Are you happy with, with who you are and accept of who you are? Of course, it's easy for us all uh, to look at or to point out the things we don't like about ourselves. You know, we get to the mirror and we go straight there, for example. Um, that doesn't do your self-image or your self-confidence any good. So true self-confidence comes from deep inside. True self-confidence is being comfortable with your imperfections as being vulnerable for example it's less ego if if you want to say you know as in ryan holiday's great book ego is the the enemy but you know we we need an ego as well because that's a massive part of confidence i'm trying to think who it was i was reading who said um i think it was alex ferguson the the former manchester united manager who said you know he never had a problem with players with ego uh, because they needed that to to perform well but When they uh, violated standards and values, that's when he had a problem. But ego is okay because, you know, all the great athletes have that. LeBron, uh, Ronaldo. I mean, like them or not, it doesn't matter. They have that charisma. They have that ego. They have that confidence. So real true uh, uh, confidence comes from self-image. And then after that, your self-talk, the things you say to yourself uh, on a daily basis. So those are two major areas where where confidence comes from. And then, you know, we can go into preparation, being well prepared. I believe momentum is important in confidence as well. So, you know, not getting injuries and and having momentum in your practices and having momentum in your matches and you're building up. So those those would be the things that I would um, closely relate confidence to.
0: Can you just elaborate a little more on the preparation aspect? Because we've talked about controllables and we're talking about practice. How does your preparation for an event uh, lead to more confidence?
1: You know, obviously that comes down to the sport you're playing as well, but working closely with your team and working closely with your coaches is important that you have, you know, I believe the two most important decisions you can make, uh, not just as an athlete, but as a human being are are the environment you choose to be in and the people you surround yourself with, 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 those are two things that are crucial to your success uh, is the people you surround yourself with and the environment that, that you're in. So it's, it's so important that you get those, those things right. Preparation, you know, I remember a conversation I had with Bob Bowman, uh, Michael Phelps, long longtime coach. And uh, Bob actually contributed a little bit to, to my new book as well, which, which was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, Bob used to throw every scenario at Michael. You know, they used to play this game, What If?, so what if this happens? What if your race is delayed? What if uh, water gets in your goggles? And that's an interesting story because Bob actually sabotaged Michael's goggles before one race by standing on them and cracking them. And water actually got into into his goggles. Now, it wasn't a, an important race. I think it was like a, I don't know, a club race or something. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, so he was preparing him for all these situations of, of expect the unexpected. And what happened in 2008, I think it was in Beijing, was Michael was going for his seventh or eighth gold. He, he dived into the pool, water got in his goggles, and he pretty much had to swim the, the race with, with water in his, in his eyes and in his goggles, which he won. So there he was prepared for the unexpected. So, you know, it was, it was interesting listening to Bob, you know, talking about what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? Are we prepared, for example? So preparation is massive. You know, ticking all the boxes, and again, as I mentioned, momentum, back-to-back practices, uh, not letting injuries or niggles get in the way, taking managing those well. You know, I being a former athlete myself, if I look back, back to the days of, uh, you know, I used to overtrain a lot and push myself, and we didn't have back in the '90s, <laughs> showing my age, back in the '90s, the technology of we have all these things now that are telling you when you're overtraining and so on and so forth. We didn't really know that back then. You know, so a lot of my preparation was interrupted because of, uh, you know, niggles and sore Achilles and this and that because of overtraining. And that would disrupt my my preparation.
0: So like you've worked with Olympians, Grand Slam champions. You just mentioned you're working with someone who made the finals of a, a junior Grand Slam. What separates in your mind? You've also worked with some people who aren't quite at that level. What would you say the single biggest difference is between the people that you've seen at the very very top of their profession or their sport and the people that are trying to get there? What is the single thing that separates them?
1: One word, commitment. You know, you you can't be half in, you can't be 99% in, you've got to be all in or you're not. I would say that the very successful people are committed day and night. They're committed to their, you know, if we're just going to use an athlete as an example, they're committed to their lifestyle. They're committed to their nutrition. They're committed to their preparation, their practices. They're committed to to checking their equipment well. They're committed to having the right environment, the right coaches. They're committed to getting all these. I hate to call it small things right, but they 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 the small details they get right. You know, working with Kevin Anderson, for example. You know, respectfully, I say this. He, he was not the most talented player I worked with, but. He, was he the most committed and maximized his potential by far, by far. I have so much respect for, for what Kevin got out of himself. And I'm sure you would agree with that Stokey as well, coming from the college background and, 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 uh, and knowing Kevin, you know, again, for me, that's champion minded maximizing everything you've got. You know, I, I even stayed in Kevin's house for a while as well and watched how he live and, and set bedtime and a time he gets up in the morning, Preparation of his breakfast, foam rolling, stretching before before going to practice. I didn't need to tell him that he did that. That's the
0: difference: the commitment to excellence. So we're going to finish up with some Instagram questions. Uh, the first question is: How do champion-minded athletes deal with losing and failure?
1: They learn from it, and not just from from loss, but champions learn from winning and losing. So you know you can still play badly and win. Or you can play very well and lose. But what did you learn? That's that's the main thing. So, yes, especially, uh, you know, working with juniors, which I do, uh, it's very hard for them to digest that, that message is, you know, uh, it's okay to lose as long as you learn. You know, it's like almost like that roll of the eyes of, oh, here we go again. Uh, what are you going to tell me now? Have fun next time I go out and play? Uh, yes, absolutely. When you're having fun, uh, you're playing your best most likely because it's just, you're just in that flow, for example, but learn from your practices, being around some of the great coaches. That's a question they ask after their practices of what did you learn today? Give me one or two things of what you learned today, because if you're not taking away a lesson from every single practice and match or lessons, not just a lesson, I, I believe it hasn't been worthwhile you've got to be you know you've got to be taking away things you've got to be asking yourself questions maybe it's something you journal uh, at the end of the day is what did i learn today what did i i i, I learn from today's match or today's practice for example so yeah it's crucial win or lose
0: what's your best advice for parents to help their kids handle pressure situations on the court be calm you know they reflect your your example
1: so you know if you have parents that are uh, nervous and you know anxious that's going to rub off on the kid right there you know they can see the just the look in the in, in the face i mean you remember as a kid looking at your mom and dad you knew when you knew when they were angry without saying a word you know our, our facial expressions you know body language is also your facial expression if i roll my eyes that's body language that's poor body language at, at, you know with me disagreeing with something you've maybe said that's body language but uh for parents is you know support understand your role you know, let the coach coach, which which is important as well. If you trust the coach, then then find a coach you trust. And, and that's what they're there for. You don't go to the dentist and tell the dentist how to, to put a filling in or or how to do a root canal. Uh, the same should be in coaching as well. But support, uh, be calm. You know, I always say reward behaviors and enforce it as well. So if they've misbehaved, that's your job as well to take care of that and, you know, win or lose. So that would be my best advice for, for parents.
0: And last one here, what are your thoughts on visualization? And then if that's something you're big into, what does that visualization look like for you? What does that process entail?
1: Yeah, it's different for everybody. Michael Phelps, speak, speaking to Bob, you know, Michael would visualize a lot. Michael, if I can remember, he would visualize three things. So he'd visualize himself in the pool. He'd visualize himself watching, actually watching his race. And interestingly, what he would visualize is what we just spoke about is what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? You know, so he would also visualize, you know, a lot of, I believe in visualization to answer your question. Some people like it. Some people don't just like meditation and so on and so forth. Everybody has their own thing. But visualizing only success or the perfect race or the perfect match is great. But as we just discussed, is that expectation and the perfect match doesn't exist. 98%, 99% of the time. So visualize Situation is not going to plan. What if you go down 4 1 all of a sudden? What if your, your serve is, is not firing the way it usually does, for example? All these things. What if this happens? What will I do? What's my plan of action going to be? So, you know, like Michael did, he would visualize things not going well. A lot of the time, people only visualize the perfect situation happening, and it doesn't in reality. There's going to be the unexpected, there's going to be uncontrollables. How are you going to deal with the wind? How are you going to deal with a cheating opponent, for example? And that's one of the reasons why I also wrote champion minded was practical solutions to these uncontrollables of a cheating opponent or, you know, and this is a conversation I had with Kim Kleisters, is that she was really friendly on the tour. So how did she separate playing against people that she liked and people that she didn't like, like friends, for example, how do you separate that? You know, all these things. So, uh, so yeah, visualization is, is, is a personal thing. I believe in it. I don't force it upon the clients and athletes that I work with. It's up to them. But a lot of athletes, a lot of great athletes swear by it.
0: So this is a difficult question, but let, let's say someone out there is listening to you right now and they're thinking that their mindset is not exactly champion minded yet. Uh You've given a ton of great information and ideas, and I know everybody's different and has their own strengths and their own flaws, but... If they're listening to this and they go, Man, this seems like something I wanna be all in on. I wanna get better with my mindset, where's the first place that they should start?
1: Um and that's a great question, is be patient with yourself, be intentional about getting better, about planning to get better. You know, I read two, three hours a day, you know, some some self help books, self development, things, you know, related to my to my work as well, to my business, as we were just talking before we, we came on air. You know, start there, but be patient with yourself. It's a process. Developing a, a a strong mindset, developing a positive mindset, takes time. It takes work, just like in anything else. Learning to play the piano, learning to uh, to serve in tennis, it takes practice and and continuous practice. You know, the greats of of the game are still practicing their serve. You know, it's not like they were just one and done. And I know how to do it. The mindset is the same. You've got to be continually practicing it. Now, I always say the difference between a positive and negative person comes down to that. The fact that positive people move on quicker from negativity. So we all get negative. I've written books on positivity and mindset, but I get negative as well. Uh, you know, I uh, myself talk can be poor. So, you know, nobody's immune to it, but how aware of it are you of, okay, snap out of it, right? Move on. and Or instead of letting that fester, for example. So, Be patient with yourself be intentional about about getting better you're not going to you know change dramatically and overnight it takes time
0: we touched on it earlier but you you have a new book that's out and for people that liked your stuff today where can they find you and and kind of what's what's the information on that book
1: yeah well thanks so much again for having me on on the podcast stokey i'm I'm a big fan books available on amazon that's the easiest place to to find all books i suppose these days uh, also, the books are available on Audible in case you don't like uh, like reading. And then probably the best platforms are on uh, Instagram, at Be Champion Minded, and massive Twitter fan as well. So my name, Alistair McCall. Um, I love my Twitter.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, hey, we appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, but um, you know we learned a lot. And like I said, mindset is the thing that keeps coming up over and over. Every athlete, every coach And so if we can get a little better with our mindset and you were a part of that, that's awesome for all of us. So thank you so much.
1: Hey man, you're absolutely welcome. And I'm a little bit disappointed. I have to admit Stokey that we didn't, we didn't talk about Liverpool or, you know, our, our, our favorite team, but um, Hey, maybe that's for next time.
0: That, that, that was all pre-show. I'm going to save everybody else, but yeah, next time we can maybe add that to our, to our show, but thanks again, man.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: All right, I want to thank Alistair for coming on the show today. He had a really quick answer to what separates the good from great players, and that was commitment. So, work hard for all the 1% gains in all areas of your life, and better performances are sure to follow. What I want to highlight, though, was when we started to talk about confidence, and he mentioned self talk. Tennis is one of those sports where you can see and hear the athlete constantly talking out loud to themselves on the court. And at the amateur level, that commentary is usually not very kind or intelligent. So make an intentional effort to build yourself up with your self-talk, highlight your positives, problem solve, and see if your confidence grows and your level starts to improve. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokie Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved in tennis without even hitting a ball.